0: nick brown he's been the high school projectionist for the av club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened and now they're joining forces ladies and gentlemen rick and nick doc
1: blitz well to quote the legendary baseball player and great linguist yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again That is what we are experiencing today with our episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Maybe by the title you could guess what we're getting into, but yeah, it's deja vu all over again.
0: I thought you were going to talk about uh, Harry Doyle from the movie Major League. Ah, no one's listening anyway. Well,
1: (laughs) I mean... I, I like to think that people are, so Bob that, that's why we're still doing this, so <laughs> thanks, Bob Euchre. All right, I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we want to welcome you to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, the Paul Bunny Broadcasting Movie Podcast, and it is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. And they are getting back to having a pretty full slate of movies there at the Bemidji Theater as well, which has been very exciting uh, seeing that taking place not just for the Bemidji Theater but for theaters around the nation. We're starting to see movie releases coming along as we talked about in our last episode. So come on out to the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2 just down from the airport. If you are still a little uncomfortable going to the movies, don't forget you can still support them by going and purchasing from the concession stand but uh we're again like we talked about last episode we're really looking forward to having a slate of movies back and a schedule to look forward to
0: not to mention another chance for record high temperatures today that icy machine probably working overtime wouldn't a nice blue schnozberry or icy just hit that spot today wouldn't it I thought That's it was popcorn. blue raspberry but Schnozberry I guess works too whoever asked for a f- a f- isn't that noseberry then Wh- whoever asked for the actual name of the flavor i'll have the red one i'll have the blue icy it's all good it's cold and it's delicious
1: i say blue raspberry and cherry when well, i order How do you know blue raspberry it could be uh well it doesn't matter. well you see the little the little symbol there on on the the label the one that says it. blue no you see little raspberries <laughs> on there very blue raspberries on there They're going
0: to have some great stuff, and that's, you know, when you go to buy a ticket at the theater, a lot of that money, the majority of it actually goes back to Hollywood and the movie, you know, pipeline, maybe a dollar off every ticket stays at the theater, so if you're not feeling like going to see a show yet, understandable, Uh, but hit the snack bar, because that is where they make their money, so you can definitely support local theaters by going to the snack bar, go and grab a popcorn and an icy or whatever, and then get back in the car and head a movie home and movies back at the house, if that's what you're comfortable for. Go support them. That's right. So... We've we are, got current events yeah. pretty much making up the topic of the show today. We are.
1: Were, were there any others, any subcurrent events that, that were
0: of interest to you, Dave? Not recently? necessarily. I mean, the fact that we've got movies coming back, and it seems to be from Memorial Weekend through this last weekend – Uh, horror movies with The Quiet Place Part 2 setting a pandemic pandemic record thus far and now, of course, The Conjuring 3, number one at the box office. So it's a good time to get scared and the pumpkins aren't even barely growing in the fields yet, let alone (laughs) carved it on the porch. So we'll take it. We're doing good and that's a good sign that people, A, are ready to go see it B, they're not just putting out schlock. It's good stuff. <laughs> and, I mean, a lot of those big, 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 big tentpole movies thus far, they've pulled up their stakes for the summertime, but a lot of hopefully quality, good stuff like Quiet Place and Conjuring, they're out there. People are seeing them. They're setting pandemic box office records and uh, good things. So that's a hopeful good sign for the way we're trending and the way we're going. Yep, $24 million for The
1: Conjuring last weekend. Um as well as 19 million for a quiet place part two, and then Cruella did 11 million of business. That was, uh, that was the latest from last weekend. Um, the weekend prior, I'm not sure, quiet
0: place two, I know dominated that. That was the memorial weekend pretty strongly. Yeah, were numbers good? Pandemic okay. record, okay, very good. Um, so and for a small, I mean, I forget, I kept not looking at what the budget was, but it's easily under a hundred million budget. Um, I don't know what kind of thing got tacked onto that from it was supposed to come out last year and didn't. Sometimes that can add to cost as far as promotion because they were starting to promote it last spring. They spent money on it, and then it didn't come out, so they have to start all over again. So we'll see, but we're, we're trending the right way. Good, good messages to take from this and that people are coming back. The other encouraging
1: thing is what I'm reading here on Box Office Mojo is that the numbers are – Numbers that are above expectation as yeah. well, which, I mean, just based on prognostication of the box office, that's encouraging as well, that apparently more people are coming out and going to theaters than expected. And maybe they're just being very tentative with these these expectations at the box office anyway. But to see that they are beating what those predictions were is also very encouraging. Now, here's something else to keep in mind too, Dave. There are places overseas that are already showing f9 the new fast and furious movie apparently that is doing very good business overseas right now so maybe that is also an encouraging trend leading into its north american debut which is still a few weeks away
0: yeah it's evidently there was going to be a surprise big budget movie shown at Cannes this year and it turns out that's the one f9 So they it'll showed be a, it at can well i don't think it's going to be in competition <laughs> i think it's just for the popcorn theater lovers and then all the you know the higher end highbrow <laughs> stuff will be next door but yeah f9 will be okay. shown at can but it's it's going to be a fun box office popcorn movie black widow not far behind it uh we're starting to get some life back. Yes, the summer we talked about before the summer of 2021, it's not looking to be gangbusters, but it's not looking all that bad either, you know, especially compared to last year, but I don't think that's a fair comparison. Um it's going to be decent enough and movies that people want to see since last year when these movies were supposed to come out in some cases. So we're starting to get there. The fact that we even have a box office, I'll, I'll take that as a win because we looked at the streaming
1: stuff going into this year and we were like, what is this going to do for the uh, the movie landscape going into this new year? Well, thankfully, people are still heading back to the theaters. People still are showing in numbers that, yes, we want to go back to the theater to go see these movies. So that's encouraging as well.
0: You know, a lot of people, and I'll I'll – Unzip my truth fly here and let you know that I'm in this group here as well. Uh, those that are kind of tentative about going back to the box office, and that does include me, just large groups at this point. Uh, issues uh, concerning my kiddo, so I want to, you know, put myself in a good situation to put him in a good situation. Uh, and that's kind of the root of it. Um, But would I go to a movie? Under certain circumstances, yeah. I'm certainly not going to go to opening weekend or opening night for something. I might wait to go see a movie and then wait till it's about two weeks old and go to a matinee or something, maybe on a weekend or something. If I go by the theaters and the parking lot looks empty, I think tonight might be the night. But uh and so otherwise go support your theater go grab a snack and if you do want to see some shows there are ways around it where you don't have to sit amongst a mountain of people
1: It takes also want, really wanting to go to a particular movie as well like you and I are we are not people who are going to go to every movie that gets released we're not we're not those kind of movie talkers we're not those kind of movie I fans I used to be
0: well, well then I got doing? a family and a kid, so now you got to spend your time and dollars right. elsewhere. But and I, I got to pick my battles now, and I'm a selective
1: attendee with with what I go to see as well. Like in theaters, I'm a selective attendee because, I mean, like you said, that's my money. Um, so I'm waiting for a little while because the movie of interest for me is the new James Bond movie, but that's not coming out until the fall. Um, finally, hopefully, maybe in the fall after so much waiting and a year and a half's worth by the time it will be out. But that that also plays a factor as well as, you know, just what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on something specific?
0: Yeah, I, for me, uh, like I said, the kiddo for me is the, is the main thing, and there aren't vaccines for little kids like that, so it's an option. And he has a couple of strikes against him just as general health from when he was born. You just don't know, but it's a roll of the dice, and there's a risk with that. And in this case, it's just too high of a risk. We're just not going to roll that dice. Right. So diving into a big group, I'd love to go to a Twins game. I'd love to go to a crowded movie theater again. Uh, I personally, if it was just me, if I was a single guy, no wife, no kid, yeah, let's go. However, with this situation with the kiddo, uh, it's it's too much of a risk for us, so we're just not going to go. We're, I don't. I can't tell you what the period at the end of that sentence is going to be. What the col. What the canary in the coal mine? If you know what that benchmark is going to be. Well, we've made it to this. I think we're good enough. I'm not really sure what that's going to be yet, but uh, we'll know it when I think we get there. And we talk about it at home all the time. So when we cross that border, let's go to a game. Let's go to an event. Let's go to a movie. Sure. I think we're crossed the point where we're beyond a reasonable doubt of risk it's worth a roll of the dice and the risk isn't so big so i don't know when we'll get there but you know it's a, it's kind of a quandary right now and it depends on your situation as to when you're ready to open yourself up to things opening up so but that is what it is that's right so we're interesting continuing you talked about bond
1: yeah it is interesting that we bring up bond because that leads into our our big point of discussion today with that latest look of what's going what what things are looking like around the box office and all of that Bond is, is in the news lately because of the parent production company of James Bond, or one of them anyway, MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, which is 97 years old, by the way. I've been reading that a lot here in some of these, uh, these articles and stories I've been reading. MGM is in the news. Big news. An 8000000000 dollar purchase of MGM has taken place by Amazon. Jeff Bezos and company have made a very, very big play when it comes to the latest as far as snatching up streaming content and, well, content in general when it comes to film. And that, that latest is that they have made that big purchase. $8 billion plus is uh, what the final price tag on that is, what it's looking like. So heading to Amazon Prime, they're going to be getting James Bond. They're going to be getting... Uh, the Rocky series, they're going to be getting content like that is going to be heading to Amazon Prime exclusively in the latest in the quote-unquote streaming wars that we have had going on for the last several years now. And the arms race continues, and MGM, it is pretty well known across the the movie industry. Maybe, maybe you're aware of it, maybe not, but MGM has had some real financial troubles over the last... I don't know, Dave. Has it been the last decade primarily, even stretching beyond 2010? Past that, too. Yeah, yeah, past that as well. Okay, last two decades or so. MGM has dealt with a variety of financial issues. They they dealt with bankruptcy, downright bankruptcy, uh, earlier. Uh, I think it was back around 2010, right? Was that about Something the time? Like that, yeah. yeah, it was around that time that they were dealing with some pretty serious stuff that they were dealing with financially. Now, they have... They have made it, quote unquote. They have made it along uh, one way or another. I mean, we are still seeing stuff from from the Bond franchise that is being released through MGM alongside Eon Productions. Um, more on them uh, as we discuss here today. We've seen the revival of the Rocky series by way of the the Creed spinoff movies that we've had Creed and Creed Two. So, and we're still seeing MGM content being released and and being out there, but. Financially, they have been in a little bit more of a bind. So being purchased for MGM was probably a bit of a blessing, being in that position where they get they get bought out and purchased in, in this way. But it opens up a, a whole wealth of questions and possibilities, too, certainly, but also speaks to a lot of industry industry trends as well uh, with this purchase that has come along. I mean... Dave, you and I, when we when we brought this topic up yesterday, when you brought this topic up yesterday, you raised a lot of very good questions and a lot of valid concerns that come with a move like this.
0: Yeah, but I think we need to kind of open up the, the scope of things a little more. MGM is just the latest headline grabber, but they're not the only one. Uh, we've certainly talked at length about Disney purchasing 20th Century Fox. Uh, there were a lot of new movies they were working on. Not to mention almost hundred years worth of movies going back from that, and some of the biggest that Hollywood has ever made came out of 20th Century Fox. Star Wars is part of that. Um, but others even going too. beyond that. Further oh, beyond even beyond that. that yeah. yeah, absolutely. And but you also have others where you could see where things are going. Look at Paramount. Look at Universal. These are big, big-name companies. They're all, to some degree, running into financial issues. Now, it's been talked about forever and a month that Hollywood's you know, accounting department is probably worth a lot of smoke and mirrors. But you're starting to see what we're really going to be talking about today is you know a, kind of a monopolization. Uh, that with, and now, of course, streaming is driving a lot of this. You need content, 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 and now you've got to get things moving forward. So you've got... NBC Universal—they've got their own streaming platform now with Peacock, which has got some success but also some struggles. Uh, Paramount has got now Paramount Plus, down, so they finally reunited with CBS, and now they're back together. But Paramount Plus. Uh, also to a degree of it's not as big as they wanted it to be. A lot of behind-the-scenes folks are saying, well, it looks like there's a distinct probability that there's going to be more mergers like this, and one of them that talks about are two of the big you know, iconic studios in Hollywood that could merge together, and one of the speculations is Universal and Paramount could come together. But you're getting even more. AT&T just spun off Discovery and all their stuff, so now that's going over to Peacock, and uh, you've got... So we're talking about how many studios were there at one point at the most, maybe 30, 40 studios. And now we're getting down to the crunch where we're going to have like five studios, you know, many, many names, but they're all owned by the same group. You know, Orion Pictures, for example, they went bankrupt back in the early 90s, and they were just kind of insolvency, and then MGM bought them. But now MGM is part of Amazon, so anything with Orion Pictures and whatever that might be is now part of MGM, which is part of Amazon, which is blah, blah, blah. You see how these piles are coming together. Um, one of the one of the ideas that I came up with as far as to describe this is like the scene in Terminator 2 where the T-1000 gets frozen, hasta la vista, pa-boom, and shatters the thing into millions of pieces before they all melt and recoalesce and rejoin and come back up. Antitrust is something that in the country has been brought up over and over. AT&T back in my lifetime got broken up. Well, now a lot of those things they got broken into have done exactly that. They've kind of merged and merged and merged, and now they're all kind of Mm -hmm. coming together. Now you basically have the last three. You have T-Mobile and you have Sprint and you have uh, Verizon and you have AT&T. You're basically down to four, and there's even still talk of them coming together. Hollywood is doing the same thing. So you start running into the dangers and the problems when you really only have a, a handful of guys or companies that are going to run all of Hollywood. You know, you've already got Disney, 20th Century Fox already owning over 50% of all media, uh past and present and potentially future. And everybody else is kind of smaller than that. You know, Netflix does do original programming, but most of which they show have come out of some other studio and they get the rights for it. They do just some original broadcasting stuff and original content. And you're seeing the more of that with others as well. But what happens when, say, Universal and Paramount do come together and then that will merge with, you know, Amazon or blah, blah, blah. It's that T-1000 rebuilding into one giant thing controlled by a couple of puppet masters and you bow to their whims. This is problematic. It
1: is. And the, the streaming wars and the coming of streaming has only has has only lit the match, I'd say, on the possibility of this.
0: Like more than that, I'd say it exasperates the problem because yes. the, the the word right now in Hollywood is content. Content, content, content. We need more content. Not really thinking that, you know, when it, Hollywood goes way back. You go to TV, you can go back to the 50s or 40s, big screen go back further than that. But a lot of you know more sophisticated audiences don't necessarily go for the early, early stuff because it's not that sophisticated. Well, oddly enough, the one who started all
1: of this is, is something completely different. Not even a, a production company, for starters. They started out just as a streaming slash getting out movies service or mail or movie service, and that's Netflix. I mean, Netflix is where, is where you can trace all of this back to because where what did they start out with? Just simply put they DVDs sta- They started out with DVDs mailing out DVDs they they ran Blockbuster out of business by providing a new business model for movie rental and that would be mailing out DVDs to you. What did that turn into then? Well, they saw potential then for putting together some kind of streaming service where people could then watch that content digitally. Right from their phone, right from their computer, right from, right from their gaming device, right from their TV. They, that you could do all of that. Well, what happened from there? Then it became, hey, we're big enough that maybe we can create our own original content. What if we try creating our own content? And so then they did that. And by this point, they did that at a point where they had so many subscribers where there were now enough eyeballs... Out there to be able to to create content like this, and people would see it. People would see it, and it would be exclusive to those who who are purchasing or who are paying for Netflix's services. I think so. There's... So all, that all that all set it up, and now everybody is looking at that and going, "I want a slice of that pie. I want to get into that game." Since Netflix has proven the popularity of this, but the question is has has it become too much of a good thing has everybody started to go and and follow what they believe to be the gravy train at a point now where it has suddenly exploded and exhausted
0: this area and this venture I think you touched on it but I think there's a lot more going on here than just just that I think when you're talking about your entertainment dollar and what that means, whether you're talking a TV show, whether you're talking a movie, video games, music, your your dollar is going to go to wherever you want it to go to. And over time, there's only been more of a stagnation, or not, not a stagnation, but uh, you've been dividing that pie up into much narrower slices as there are many, many more options. What you're starting to see, I think, is the beginning of a coalescence. People are starting to cut the cord and getting away from cable, and some cable channels going under. Um, so now they've got streaming services while cable channels do exist it doesn't seem to be the big draw that it used to be now we're starting to cut movie theaters out and we're just going to de- release our movies directly to streaming oh we'll do it in theaters too but only for however long before it's exclusively on our streaming service now they're starting to talk about getting music the same way you already have things like that with Spotify now they're starting to talk about you know you're not going to be able to get games from this place but you can also you know get a, a game rented so to To speak, from a streaming service. That's the next thing that they're going to get ready to get into. It hasn't started yet, but they're starting to move into that direction. What you're starting to see is the pie taking back slices of itself so that the pie slices that any company that gets it are bigger and bigger and bigger to get more and more revenue shares. Here's where the problem comes in. Dot dot dot. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, and that when you only have, let's just say, for the sake of argument, three people. Controlling not just Hollywood, but if this co- if this grabbing back of all these different forms of entertainment are going to be coming in big bigger pieces of pie, to the point where ultimately you might have ninety different companies, but those ninety companies are only owned by three companies, then you're really only going to have three pieces of pie. Who's going to have control over what that pie is, and who's going to be making the money, and what kind of influence could they have over what is being coming out? Is it truly artistic? Or is it financial and is, I mean, there's going to be a balance. You want to make money, yes, but you also want to make a good show, good art, good music, whatever. At one point, does it get out of balance? And when you get smaller groups like this, much more likely that it's going to get out of balance.
1: Rick and Nick TalkFlix is brought to you by the Bemidji Theater as we continue talking about the purchase of MGM by Amazon. I want to begin there, Dave, talking about the the influence part of it, because this is something completely different than what we have seen with some of these previous purchases. For instance, with the purchase of 20th Century Fox by Disney, you have a media company that is purchasing Disney, or that, that is purchasing 20th Century Fox in that case. But you and I raised the question on that episode where we discussed that purchase. We were like, is 20th Century Fox going to be able to retain something of an identity that is its own? Or, by being under the Disney brand, are they going to be subject to the Disney um, guards, shall we say? The
0: Disney... The Disney image. Image. Xenomorphs don't work well under the Disney banner. No. And they are under the Disney banner.
1: Being under the... Yeah, being under those those Disney limitations, shall we say. Um, That's a lem- good way to put it. Yeah. Accurate. Things that, that sort of... that, that are, you know it's Disney when it's the Disney brand, and yet at the same time, maybe takes away from other, like you said, artistic creativity, or maybe this this is what it is with something like a horror character like that. Would that play with Disney? I don't know. But with Amazon, there's a different element to this, because Amazon is not necessarily a media company, first and foremost. Amazon is a retail company, first and foremost. I just did a trivia question for KZY the other day, going back to it was an on this day question that I did. And I said it was on this day in 2003 that Amazon had like pre sold like 1 million copies of of the upcoming Harry Potter book that was going to be released at that time. And it reminded me, and I said this on the air, I was like, boy, that was a simpler, those were simpler days for Amazon because Amazon was big at that time, Amazon was retail. They were just books, but they, yeah, just books. And then they expand to other parts of retail. Boy, I was just talking about the, the, the expansion of Netflix and the growing of Netflix. Talk about the growing of Amazon. I mean, and, and where they are as a company today, but what is one of their wings that they have within their massive, massive business operation, Amazon prime, the video side of things that they have video rental to be able to, to rent or to buy through Amazon prime. Now all of a sudden with a purchase like this you have possibility of being able to really expand the Amazon Prime portion of of what you do. But this is where the influence comes in Dave and you you brought this up to me when we were when we were chit-chatting. Yeah, when we were chatting about this episode we were storyboarding a little bit more or less. You said, well, what happens then when you have Amazon-related products or Amazon-related advertising that you want to try to maybe insert into this? Not saying that they would, but let's say that you've got considerations like that that you were trying to throw in. Look at James Bond. There are already jokes that get made about the fact that they really try to push brand marketing of of Heineken and Omega through what they do with, with their movies. Let's say you're trying to do that with Amazon-related products, or, and this was what one of the writers of James Bond, a writer for Skyfall, Inspector said in in a piece that he wrote for, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, was was the piece that he wrote for it. It was either Wall Street Journal or New York Times. He wrote a piece and said something along the lines of, "What happens if Amazon people are trying to get in the room?" With people from Eon Productions who own half of Bond, uh, that's that's where you have the uh, the now broccoli family. Half of bond. Yeah, they own now they own half of Bond. You've got the Broccoli's, you've got the Saltzmans who are in there, and and you have this family influence that that has owned a portion of Bond. What happens if you've got Amazon people trying to get in the room with them saying, we want this, we want this, we want this, with something like James Bond? That's going to influence in a way that has never been seen before.
0: Well, something that with the with the deal here, and a big part of this, like you said, Bond is owned by Eon Productions, which is run by the Broccoli family. That's funny to say, the Broccoli family, but that's the name of the family. Yeah, Cubby uh,
1: Broccoli, started it, um, yeah. and then, and now it's uh, it's Barbara his, Broccoli. His
0: daughter, Barbara, and her half-brother, uh, Tom Wilson. What's his name? Uh, Wilson, anyway. Uh, so they now own half of Bond, as Amazon has bought the other half. But with promises, here's where it starts. We're not going to get into the creative side. You guys are going to have creative control. What happens when the other part of your partnership, which owns 50-50, there's no 51-49 here, it's 50-50, What happens with Bezos or what happens if Bezos gets hit by a train and whoever takes over after Bezos has a different mindset? Any one of a 100 things could happen where those original promises are no longer valid. Now we're going to have something else. Now, it's not like Bond has never had product placement. Well, Bond drinks a vodka martini. Well, maybe they make a deal with Sky Vodka, let's say, and Sky Vodka will be shown prominently Maybe now they're giving March, and that's in order to help with your budget. We're going to come up you know, $1 million sponsorship to have your product drank by Bond on camera. Okay, helps make your budget, makes the movie happen. Okay, and it kind of works. He's got to drink a vodka martini. Do I care what vodka it is, personally? No. I don't own vodka companies, so I don't care. But what happens if... Amazon has a focus group, and it turns out that they think that he shouldn't drink vodka anymore because Amazon holds a big stake in gin, and he comes up with some other thing, or maybe a tequila company. Let's say Sammy Hagar gets involved somehow. He's got Boss Webos Tequila. They have a focus group. I personally, as an investor in bond, I want my product drank by bond, but that's not what Bond drink. Yeah, but we own, you could see the opening here of the problems that could come down the pike when corporate ownership tells you and listen, you're going to do this.
1: People may be listening to this right now going, well, this sounds ridiculous. You it think kind, so? It kind of does, but it's not totally out of the question, though. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility that this could happen.
0: No, this kind of stuff happens all the time, and not necessarily because it's corporate-driven. Just just look at Spider-Man 3 for an example of how bad things can get. You have great Spider-Man movie, great Spider-Man 2, and then you get too many cooks in the kitchen. Now, maybe in this case, they weren't looking for you know sponsorships, but I want this thing. Well, I want this thing. These are executives that do not have any business in storytelling, but they want their stake, even though they have no idea what they're doing. They've got a very quality, qualified cast that know what they're doing and a good director in Sam Raimi, and they get overruled by somebody overhead saying, I want it this way. Well, that's just story ideas. When it comes down to product placements and everything else, let's say Amazon, for some weird reason, gets a big stake in Italy somehow, and major focus groups say that bond should be Italian. But bond is for the British Secret Service. Yeah, 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 but we want an Italian agent. Make it go. So all of a sudden, you start running into an Italian bond because that's what they said they wanted, and it ruins the product. If right now content is king and Amazon Prime needs a boost... Who's to say that you're not going to get marching orders from Amazon to the Eon brand saying, "Hey, we need a new. We need to bring up our ratings here on Amazon Prime. I want another Bond movie by next Christmas. That's 16 months away, sir. I know. Make it happen. You're going to throw something together like Quantum of Solace, where they threw it together trying to get it done before the writer's strike kicked in, and you can tell it was not a good movie." They should have let it kick. They should have said, you know what, we'll wait till after the writers' strike. It'll end, and then we'll do it the right way, and then you get a movie like Skyfall that clearly was marvelous. That you can not you cannot say that this was when this is your master that holds the leash, that they're going to yank on that leash and make you do it because they can. So then you start getting a Bond movie a year. Now, maybe that worked okay back in the 70s, but then again, you look at some of those Roger Moore era movies and some of the Sean Connery era movies, they were what they were, and they were doing about one a year. But Hollywood was a very, very different beast back then. Yeah. Nowadays, it's roughly three years between movies on average. Uh if you're going to do one every year or every six months if Amazon Prime demands it, you know, I mean, look what happened with Star Wars because Disney demanded it. And that didn't really work out so well, did it? We've got to come up with a plan. you got to come up with something you can't, you don't want to come up with a Mick Bond, but pumping out a Bond movie to satisfy the financials rather than let's actually make something good and quality and decent that we're going to be proud to represent rather than here's another Bond that's the challenge, isn't it? That that's what
1: what we're seeing with these movie franchises is an exploitation of it that's happening. Have you um, seen
0: the Disney's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean beyond the first one? There's an example. Yeah, that's yeah. a good example. Well, I and and I was reading
1: um, one of the articles regarding this purchase and. The person was there was a person in there who's talking about the fact that the value of Bond alone, the Bond franchise, takes up perhaps more than half of this eight billion dollar price tag. There's a debate, I don't know if that that might be a
0: little overinflated, but they're they're strong in the MGM
1: wind, it might be, and yet, and yet, it is a massive, massive property and it is a global property. and as far as a movie franchise, I believe it is the second longest ongoing movie franchise in the world. Only to gone uh, to Godzilla. That's the uh, right. that, that's only the one that that it trails behind. In well, let's say who would be okay. God, yeah, okay, yeah, you got me on that. One.
0: And would technically King Kong be part of that too? Then
1: maybe the maybe Monsters Universe. I suppose yeah, something along those lines. Although you could get that easily confused with the Monsters Inc. Universe, but uh, that's that's a that's a joke anyway. Um, Monsters Inc. is not a joke. That was just a joke that I got. Made.
0: I, I'm I'm picking up what you're laying Thank down. Thank
1: you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So so they were saying that um, – th- this, this person who was interviewed was saying that they feel that the Bond franchise has not been exploited yet. That's a and big I thought, red flag. I, I thought to myself, I was like, wow, that's quite a choice of word that you are using there. I'd say it's a good thing that they have not been exploited yet. It's a very good thing that this has not been exploited and overbloated to to this point the fact that you're releasing a movie every couple of years it keeps a steady dose of interest involved there's a waiting period that comes and then what do you get you get a lot of excitement when something is released now uh, th- properties like marvel other franchise properties they are trying they are testing the opposite of that theory of uh, star wars is doing this now too of A glut of content is still a good thing. Continuous content is still a good thing. People will show up for it. They're testing that theory in a pretty big way these days. But I look at a property, property like James Bond and I go, I think what has made it something that has stuck has been a steady stream That
0: also keeps
1: you waiting along the way, too.
0: You know, I think it's more than that. I think you got a good point, but I also think you need to look a little closer at this. So let's take a look at some of those other properties, not necessarily Bond. Let's look at what Disney's been doing. Two of their major things right now, you have Star Wars and you have the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's start with the MCU. Now, you got to go back to when this really started, and most people will tell you that it was 2008 with the first Iron Man movie. I think they had ideas when they did the first couple of Hulk movies with Eric Bana and, and Norton, but it didn't quite come together until the first Iron Man in 2008, and they were tied in with Paramount. Here's where a guy like Kevin Feige came into the picture who is the overall producer of all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so all the Avengers movies, all the so on and so forth, he's been the guy that's done this. Now, here, take a look at the parallel. Star Wars gets bought. Lucasfilm gets bought by Disney. Uh, George Lucas, on his retiring door out, assigns his longtime producer, Kathleen Kennedy, to oversee Lucasfilm. She's done with us from the beginning. She's also worked with Spielberg. She goes back to E.T. She'll take care of this property. Who had a plan? Who did not have a plan? You have the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're all built on one another. They all tie in. They all connect. And I'm actually right now doing a whole year long, two a month, watching one of the MCU. I've seen them all. But I haven't seen them for a little while, so I'm doing two a month, and it'll take me from New Year's... To this coming Christmas. So nice I'm right, pacing. I'm right in the middle right now. I'm coming up to uh, Age of Ultron, so that'll, I'll watch that later this month. Kind of a big nerd right here. <laughs> but they have a plan, and you can see, especially when you watch them closer together, how the little nuances kind of tie together. That was really interesting. Oh, oh, that's cool, yeah? That look at Star Wars. There was no plan. And even JJ Abrams just gave an interview to Collider recently where he said, Yeah, you want to have the flexibility to break that plan. Yeah, but there was no plan. He, that you thought that there was two narratives when they started doing that new trilogy that they would come up with a bare bones story structure for the whole trilogy and then each director would make their own version following that skeletal structure. <laughs> well, that's that not what be, that, happened.
1: That proved to be very much off base. No. J.J. Yeah.
0: Abrams came up with interesting plot threads that he let dangle so the next guy could pick up on them. No, that's not what happened. They just cut off the ones they didn't like. And it really norked off the fans to the point where there was a huge drop. And they all made a lot of money, don't get me wrong. But you go look up on Google what the money brought in was. Huge drop between 7 and 8 and a huge drop between 8 and 9. That tells you what the, the audiences went and saw and did not come back. And that's a big problem. And Star Wars really messed it up. So Star Wars was pumping those out a movie a year. Initially, we got episode seven, eight, and nine, and then in between, we had Rogue One and we had Solo. Enough to the point where, right after Last Jedi, Solo was the first Star Wars movie that outright bombed at the box office. Now, that's not to say it's not a good movie. Fans now have gone to see it. That is a good movie. I wish they'd make a sequel. Well, they're not gonna because you didn't go see it in the theaters. That's where you make your money. That's where sequels are decided. That didn't happen. So now it's not going to happen, most likely. But MCU. So what are we talking about here? What's the difference here? Are we just going to get crop, 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 harvest, 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 or are we going to cultivate and tend to this garden? You can make it a huge garden and make a heck of a lot of money, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they're cultivating it. There's a plan. There's somebody that's actually overseeing it and is interested in creating good content, not just content. And unfortunately, that is what has thus far happened to Star Wars. Now, we're starting to see some changes of that. you got guys like Dave Fioni stepping in, and The Mandalorian is a great step in the right direction. So far, good response to, even though it's an animated series, The Bad Batch, people are liking it. So where are we going to go from here? They will figure out the big screen eventually, but even still, we're not exactly sure what that's going to be, but a lot more shows are coming in the spirit of The Mandalorian Could that start to buy back some good feelings from the fans so that when they do make another movie, people might actually go to see it and spend their money on it after the dumpster fire, let's face it, that was the sequel trilogy, if you can call it that. It just didn't work. But when the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie comes out, and they did take a little rest after the Avengers Endgame yeah, there's WandaVision. Yeah, there's Falcon and the, and the Winter Soldier. I keep want to say Falcon and the Snowman. But, uh, and the Winter Soldier. I think that's another movie. Loki's coming out now, too. Yeah, Loki's coming out. But they haven't had a big screen movie for about two years. And they were last year, but it got delayed for the pandemic But finally Black Widow's coming out. After the great movie, it was a good movie, and it was gangbusters at the box office. And until Avatar was re-released, it was the number one movie of all time ever. Do you don't think people are about ready to come back and get another dose of Marvel? Can you say that about Star Wars? Can you see the difference between cultivated and just harvest, harvest, harvest you want to take out but you don't put in? Can you see the potential when you just get a couple of groups and you get people openly talking about exploiting Bond now that we've got our mitts on it? Can you see a problem about to erupt like Vesuvius? Vesuvius, sorry. There's the
1: possibility of it. There's the possibility of that becoming a problem. Inevitability, I hate to say.
0: Uh, Yeah. You you have to have somebody overhead saying, hey, 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 no. You grow this. You cultivate this. Are you seeing that at all? And has there been any indication in the history of Amazon that that's been the case? No. No. It's just been. Give, give, we got to get more, 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 more. Expand, expand, expand. Here's just more territory to conquer. That conquer that is sacred today and tomorrow. As soon as they find opportunities to, to harvest more of that cabbage, there it goes. Yeah, and it brings us to
1: a look at the industry on the whole. We've kind of talked about this this specific um, purchase and what what the possibilities could be from this purchase. But let's talk about the industry on the whole because you you talked a little bit about the possibility of antitrust. You talked about, um, we we have discussed at length before when it comes to the streaming wars about the way the content is starting to to be funneled into specific groups and specific areas. Now, that's th- this is not necessarily something that is new in Hollywood. I know we have talked about it and we've bemoaned the fact that this is happening where you have to have Amazon Prime, for instance, now to be able to watch the Bond movies, if you want to,
0: you have to have not not necessarily. That's another that's another discussion. But no, right now a lot of them are on Netflix. You can get well once once the purchase is complete. If maybe if if, maybe because just just a real quick sidebar. I don't want to step on what you're saying, but you know, if Amazon Prime now owns Bond, they can show Bond movies on Amazon Prime, and they don't have to pay anything because it's their movies. Any Warner Brothers movie will show up on HBO Max because that's Warner Brothers. They don't have to pay anything. Netflix, they could show any of those movies, and they do right now. The Back to the Future trilogy is owned by Universal. I'm sure you can get it on Peacock. But you can also get the Back to the Future trilogy right now on, Amazon, on Netflix because Netflix is paying a licensing fee. That's I want right. to be able to yeah. show these movies. We don't own them, but we'll pay X amount to be able to show it from this time to this time. So we're getting a licensing fee to show it. So that's a way that Universal can make money in two ways. We can have people pay to have our movies on their streamers. That's fine. We're getting paid for that. Or we can use it as a hook. Like Wonder Woman 1984 was there at the launch of HBO Max to get people to want to go. Oh, all these great movies are on Paramount+. Plus. Let's go there. So there's two ways to go around it. So Bond can be seen anywhere that anyone's willing to pay to show Bond but for Amazon, it's a hook. Anytime you want to go to Amazon Prime, at least eventually, once this officially goes through, you'll know you'll find a home of bond on Amazon Prime, and that's kind of how it works. Even in explaining that, you still made my point pretty well, which yeah, is that sorry. you've got these.
1: No, that was that was fine because you you've got these tribes. You've got and like you Good said to put it, if you want to like for Netflix, if they want to be able to pull from from somebody and what they've got, you've got to pay for it. Obviously, and it, it's all
0: about the money, and it's and all that's, about the possibility. And that's of fair. It. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that at all. Where we've also talked about is exclusivity. That's the issue. You know, yeah. not not to go down the soda realm, but when I went to college, you started. I hate exclusivity. Where I went to college. They had a soft drink exclusivity. So, you know, you think like Coke and Pepsi are the biggest brands. One of them made a deal with the with the college campus. You couldn't buy a Coke on campus. You could not. They didn't have it on campus. I don't have a problem with Pepsi. I like Pepsi. But I also like Dr. Pepper, and Dr. Pepper is not a Pepsi product. Good for Mountain Dew, not good for Mellow Yellow. You know, you get your preferences. I don't want to have to go to the gas station when there's 29 machines in the campus, and I can't buy a Coke at one of them. That's yeah. a problem. I want to be able to watch what I want to watch, and I don't want to. Ha- I still haven't seen that submarine movie with Tom Hanks, uh, Gray Wolf or whatever it was, because right. it's only on Apple TV. I don't want to subscribe to Apple TV just for one movie. Right. Yeah, but you get the trial. Yeah, for one month. What happens in a year when the next movie comes out? I don't get the trial anymore. You know, it just gets stupid. I just want to watch what I want to watch, and exclusivity cuts that down dramatically, particularly when it's streaming because it's easy as heck. You could trip and accidentally stumble and hit the subscribe button, and it's done. Try unsubscribing to any one of these. It's a a labyrinth. And we have discussed this issue before. We've we've discussed the issue of
1: exclusivity before. But the more I've thought about it, and especially now with this news regarding Amazon and MGM, the more I've realized this has always kind of been a part of Hollywood in its own way. Whether we know it or not, or whether we we want to think this is a, a relatively new phenomenon, it kind of isn't because think about it back in the 40s and 50s actors and directors yeah even in the 60s a little bit too actors and directors used to be contracted to specific production companies they studios they would especially. yeah to studios to specific studios they would have a contract that they would be bound to and if you wanted to appear on somebody else's brand on somebody else's studio there had to be specific permission, granted, probably some payment in there as well, to allow for them to be able to appear on loan with that company. So that, that we've seen this. I mean, and that's just in one regard. You and I were talking about other metaphors for it. And you described how in the food industry, like you talked about there with um, with soda products, in the food industry, you have you have very large companies that are owning the individual restaurant chains or owning the individual soda brands like you talked about the Coca-Cola Coca-Cola company they're not just Coca-Cola anymore they are they own many different things like you said under the the Coke family so we see this not just in in the entertainment industry we've seen this in many different industries where if you if you own a particular property They are now part of a family of properties that they are in. And in many cases, it's for financial reasoning that they become a part of that. One of the big questions that comes with that, though, is will they maintain their own identity? And alongside that, especially when it comes to the streaming wars and when it comes to the issue of exclusivity, will they still be accessible? Will you still be able to really access them like you were able to, in the past so will they maintain individuality and will they maintain some form of access?
0: this is where the problem is and you've touched on a very very good point you know restaurants for example uh, just to name five major restaurants that are really only two know uh, Arby's and Buffalo Wild Wings same company Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut same company you can get five restaurants side by side by side we get choice there's five of them yeah there's really only two. Arby's doesn't care if you go to B-dubs. It's the same company, or vice versa. It doesn't matter. So long as you go into one of their restaurants, that's all that matters. Well, what happens when you get 20 restaurants, but it's really only three? It's different versions, but it's the same company, and then they have the Well, they're all You wouldn't know it, though. You wouldn't know it, but then there's examples where that's not such a good thing. Look at Discovery Channel. Look at History Channel. These are channels that in the last 10 years, in my opinion, have wrecked themselves. The History Channel has gone down in flames. It's a joke. I loved the History Channel, but they began to, and I'm not meaning any disrespect here. I'm not having anything to knock on the shows that they put on there, but they began to pander to the lowest common denominator. We're going to come up with our own original reality, which is much cheaper to do show. We're going to do Ice Road Truckers. We're going to do X-Men. We're going to do Pawn Stars and 19 different spinoffs of Pawn Stars. What are these shows doing on the History Channel in the first place? You go pick. We just had the the anniversary for the D-Day invasion for World War II. What did History Channel show that weekend? Not much for World War II on the weekend that would be a, a commemorative weekend, but there was lots of Pawn Stars. There was lots of these shows. They wrecked those channels and they're all owned by the same company. That's why when Shark Week comes up, they start showing these documentaries about how the megalodon really exists. It doesn't. It is it did at one point. It's gone. It's like saying that a tyrannosaur has been found roaming not Isla Nubar, but in across, you know, Pakistan, and it just ate up troops and it's a real story. But they really quickly flash something. This is dramatic, this is dramatized, this is not real. But they present it as real. And on a channel that is known for science and fact, and you've wrecked the reputation of it because it's all owned by the same company, Discovery, History, A&E, all of that, they've changed it to try to bring eyeballs to their product, which that's kind of the goal. Discovery Shark Week is a good example but of their, that as well. But their ethics went right out the window. And they wrecked those channels. Now, maybe they've got people going to watch them, and that's great. But why are you showing shows like on the History Channel that have nothing to do with history or shows on the Discovery Channel that has nothing to do with science and so on and so forth? It doesn't work. So what happens? Well, that's just TV, Dave. This is the start. This is the symptom of this can happen to you. So what happens when you get the wrong person in charge of some property that you like? Maybe somebody you know that is very unqualified takes over, say Warner Brothers, let's say, and all this schlock starts coming out, and every movie panders to the lowest common denominator, and nothing is intelligent anymore. And you see where it goes. You know, we're going to do whatever we feel like we want to do, and all of a sudden, the movie Idiocracy becomes real life, and every show that comes out and every movie that comes out is all coming through the same funnel. That's not a good funnel. Now, maybe you get some great people that are interested in cultivating, and then you get other funnels where it's all about the bottom dollar. Let's make it quick. Let's make it cheap. Let's make it happen. People will want to buy the fluff and the hype. They grab it, and there's nothing there. It's just, it's sugar, and there's nothing else to it, and that's all that it becomes. That is a very real problem. There's there's definitely been the the, the, the precedent has been set. Has happened, can happen, does happen, will happen again. <sighs> And things like this, where that pie only gets, you know, the pieces get only bigger and bigger as it starts taking things back. So now, whatever Amazon Prime might have done on their own, now they've legitimately bought a for real decade or century old movie studio. It's one of the oldest. And not only that, with new productions, but an entire almost 100 year backlog of stuff, including Bond, they've got a huge jump up in content now and the ability to make new stuff. What if they decide they don't really care about the product and they're just going to make something to cultivate cash? Here's where big problems come out. Quality versus quantity. Yeah,
1: and that's that's maybe the biggest thing that that we continue to harp on either directly or indirectly when it comes to these decisions, Dave, is what is the quality of the content that we are getting? It's it's very ironic that these purchases involve the entire the entire studio catalog of whatever the place is that, that they just purchased, because you think that they're looking back in time to some of their oldest properties and and going, "Wow, we get we get this classic film. We get we get this from from a time where story writing and and detail attention to detail on on some of those things was a lot different, rather than just." We're, we're focus grouping, we are trying to hit certain demographics with the way that our story is. In those times, it, it was about, yeah, it was about appealing to an audience, but it was also, it, in the movies that worked, it was about appealing to an audience in a way that was deeply entertaining, in a way that was really enjoyable for people. Um, that's, that's where some of the best ones really made their mark and the hope would be that we're that we're not going to lose that by by just churning out content by trying to churn it out to to appeal to certain groups, you know, and and that we get so much of that that we lose sight of how do you tell a really good story and how to do that without the influence of here's what the latest marketing here's here's what the latest numbers say about, you know,
0: this is what's going to really sell. I'm biased But I think I've got a point here. I am a Generation Xer, and I do believe that I came up in an era, in a lot of ways, not always, that might be one of the best eras entertainment-wise in the history of entertainment in this country. You know, you take a look at the popularity and just how cool the 80s and the 90s were, and that stuff still lives on to this day. And I know that nostalgia's got a 20-year cycle, but the 80s are past that time in a way, but you still see huge amounts of, of 80s building blocks, whatever you want to call it, still baked into what's going on today and the throwbacks back to it and so on and so forth. It was something real special. Watching movies, we just my wife and I just watched an older movie the other night, uh, Mr. Destiny. It's not a special movie. It's an, it's a good movie, not a great movie. It's basically a takeoff of It's a Wonderful Life with Jim Belushi, Linda Hamilton, and it's a good, it's a fun movie. I would recommend it to anybody. I don't promote it as the best movie you'll ever see in your life, but it'll be an hour and a half that you'll enjoy. It's sweet and it's nice, and they don't make movies like that anymore. And if they do, they just kind of release them as an also-ran. I remember when yeah. Mr. Destiny came out, and it was in theaters, and they promoted it, and there was a, it was a premiere, and you'd see him showing up on you know the couches of The Tonight Show and whatever, talking about it, and it was an event no different than any other major tent pole movie. It probably wasn't going to get the box office return. And it didn't have the budget you know, next to, say, Terminator 2 or whatever, just to talk about Linda Hamilton movies, because I'm sure she started filming T2 right after she filmed Mr. Destiny, because they came out a year apart. But they're very, very different types of movies. But they came out and they did what they did and they were respected or they weren't very good and they went away forever. Mr. Destiny is a movie that went away because it wasn't that it wasn't a good movie. It's just that it was a smaller movie. It didn't have a giant, giant franchise tag attached to it and blah, blah, blah. But if you find it and you see it and you watch it, you'll like it. It's sweet. But they don't make movies like that anymore, and the closest you get to them now is something that is direct-to-video, which now means direct-to-streaming, and it might have a cast that's fairly well-known just because Adam Sandler signed a deal with Netflix to make movies, and I've seen them, and they're not good. And it's just it's it's dollars, I'm going to make five movies to make up to this contract. Okay, well, it's it's like the Seinfeld writing room. Well, we went up this morning, we went to the store. There's a shell. Make that into a shell, just so I can make my contract. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. A movie like Mr. Destiny was crafted, and you could tell somebody who made it loved it. The director is also the co-writer, and he really nurtured this through, just like the Broccoli family has done with the Bond franchise, rather than, you could see where the idea goes. And now, movies on the big screen largely are tentpole movies, and you might get smaller tent pole movies like, I'm not knocking The Conjuring, I'm not knocking A Quiet Place. The first Quiet Place movie was a really cool concept movie and it, people didn't think anything about it until all of a sudden it was out. And their friends went and saw it like, you got to see this movie. And now it's become something. The Conjuring had all the possibilities in the world. And I'm only mentioning these movies because they're current right now and they're out again and they're good movies they've become their own franchise that's awesome because somebody cultivated them and made them work you could say what you want about some of those spin off the the nun movies and the annabelle movies and you know they're all tied into the conjuring um, You could make your case on those as well. James Wan has made a great career out of some good horror movies, and many of them are really good. He clearly knows how to make the widget, and he makes that widget over and over in different ways, whether it's The Conjuring or whatever. But they're working, and Blumhouse House Productions doing the exact same thing, revitalizing properties. But they're doing it well, and they're cultivating them, and they're making them work. So somebody can grab it and exploit it, and all of a sudden the next, you know, Halloween movies might be trash when they come out because hey, they revitalized it. Let's exploit it. You can see where the problem is. They're not building crafted, cultivated movies anymore. It's not craft beer. It's just pum, pum, pum. The old factory stamping them out. And that's a problem. The old factory.
1: Yeah, just churning out movies, churning them out with this title on it, with this name on it, but it doesn't have the essence of what really made it good yeah. in the first place. Yeah. So once again, this this latest story, this latest uh, purchase is going to be something to watch. We've we've said this many times over. You know, going back to the the twentieth century Fox Disney uh, purchase, the Disney purchase of twentieth century Fox it hasn't
0: it, really gone well thus far. I would say.
1: Well, we in the sense that 20th century fox has has m- felt more or less buried which we kind of wondered if that was going to be the case with them are they just going to be buried away within the w- within the disney name and within the
0: disney umbrella so, so far you know 20th century fox has some great properties that would go naturally well with disney princess bride comes to mind i could see that showing up on disney plus and just going gangbusters I do not see Predator showing up on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> now, here's the thing that they've talked about, but they really haven't executed it very well. Uh, outside of the U.S., it's called Disney Star. Uh, in the U.S., it's Hulu. And basically, it's the more adult content stuff. And I don't mean porno adult. I mean like Predator, like Alien. Those are 20th Century Fox titles that are now owned by Disney. And it's not like Disney has never done stuff that was more adult-oriented. They had touch-tone pictures for a long, long time uh, that put out higher, you know, more, something not necessarily for the kids, but might maybe be family-friendly to the older family, maybe, And why can't they do maybe the next stage up of that and 20th Century Fox gets involved in that? Now, maybe you don't want to do 20th Century Fox. You want to get rid of the name because you're not Fox and there still is a Fox company and it's not the Disney company. Okay, I get all that. But you got a 100 years, more or less, of content from 20th Century Fox. It can't just straight up go away. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be out there. And Disney certainly has the capabilities of making it work. And I mean making it work yesterday. And it still hasn't come to work yet. So why can't they come up with... And they don't even have to call it Disney if they don't want to. It can be an entirely different streaming platform. So if you have Disney+, Plus, like our family does, because we've got kids in the house, I don't want my kiddo when he starts figuring out the remote control, which is happening quickly... Uh, how to accidentally stumble into something that's going to traumatize him. You could easily create different wings for it. Netflix has done sure. something kind of similar sure. with the
1: Netflix kids part of what whether, they have. Whether
0: it's a passphrase or a code to get into the other, whatever it is, that's great. And if you want to create an entirely different, more adult version of Disney+, Plus, but it's more like 20th Century Fox or new content or whatever, and even some crossover stuff that you can yeah. get on both, fine, whatever. But why can't that be done? And why isn't it being done? And it's been done. This has been not a new thing. This has been on long enough. There's no way that they can't figure this out. And it hasn't happened yet. Could the same thing happen here with all the history of of the MGM catalog? Maybe some things that don't air so well today. We've talked about Gone with the Wind. I think that's MGM. I might be wrong about that. Yes, it is. It's MGM. It's MGM. But there's, you know, that was done at a time with segregation, and slavery is still a part of the storyline there. And so that doesn't air well today. I don't think you can just whitewash over that like it never happened because it did. You know, it's still a great movie. We don't condone what happened in the story, but this is set at this time. This is what the story is. It just is what it is. Don't get rid of it. Put a disclaimer at the front, but, you know, Gone with the Wind kind of got pushed to the side, pushed to the side. And it is, when you if adjust for inflation, the highest grossing movie of all time ever. Correct. And will likely never get beat. When you figure in inflation, I don't care how many Avengers movies they do and how many times they re-release it, <laughs> Avengers Endgame will never outgross, adjusted for inflation, gone with the wind. So could that just kind of disappear? Concerns, Hoove. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of them that, that come with this whole this whole purchase, which, again, we are only days removed from
0: True. this being in the news. So I think we recorded the last podcast, and like two days after we did it, The deal was announced. Yep. Oh, that. We could have talked about that.
1: Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Dave and I discussing the big purchase of MGM Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer by Amazon uh, just in the last several days as that has been announced. Yes, Dave.
0: Why don't I don't interrupt you. I was just indicating hand. I had a comment to bring up another another avenue of discussion when you were done with your thought, which you should continue because we love well, the Bemidji theater. Let's let's bring it home. What do you what do you have in mind? Here's my concern. I I I am a favor of you know you don't want three people controlling everything, kind of idea. So when it comes to Hollywood, you could get this boiling down to two major groups or three major groups to control all the new stuff and all the old stuff, and we're just at their mercies rather than competition, which really helps breed creativity. So at some point, something could come in and antitrust monopoly things kick in and things get broken up. For example, Disney you've got too big, we're going to break things up. Let me just kind of narrow this down into one facet of something that has already happened to give you an idea of what I think is going to happen again. We've already kind of talked about this in a previous episode, but this ties into what we're talking about now. Let's talk Paramount, let's talk Star Trek. So about 2005, Paramount, owned by Viacom, breaks up. They basically had a divorce, and Viacom was the major owner of both Paramount and then the CBS company. Star Trek was like the child of divorce. It was always a part of Paramount, which originally was part of, you know, Desilu came up with Star Trek, which was aired on NBC, and then that got bought by Paramount. But, you know, essentially, Star Trek had always been a part of Paramount. So then they have this divorce. Well, CBS needs some properties too, so they basically split Star Trek in half. Okay, Paramount can do movies, but they can't make movies based on anything that's come before without a licensing agreement from CBS, because CBS will own Star Trek, but Paramount will own the movies that came out, but not the shows. So when they did the reboot in 2009, they had to get a licensing agreement from CBS to make another Star Trek movie for Paramount, But on top of that, the people that were in charge wanted to have their own marketing agreement. So we don't want to sell the Leonard Nimoy toys of Spock. We want to sell the Zachary Quinto toys of Spock. So you have to make things look differently to a degree. And it's been debated, well, it's got to be similar, but it's got to be 25% similar. So the uniforms are recognizable, but they're not the same. The ship is recognizable, but it's not the same. And so you run into all these problems because the company breaks up. Now, granted, they've come back together, so now maybe we'll start to see uh, more of a streamlined approach. Now, here's the problem. What happens if something like this happens to James Bond? What happens if something like this happens to other properties that we know and love that have a long history to them, and Universal Studios has to break up. And so now the, the the Universal Monsters, Frankenstein and Dracula, they're now owned by multiple different companies and not one. So if somebody gets a burr on in their, in their butt that they want to make a Dracula movie, you can because you own part of the rights. But you can't do these part of the – you see it? we're getting into a real stupid territory here because somebody wants their money. I want a part of this, but you can't do this without a licensing fee and it just messes up everything. There's a good line in a movie called "Other People's Money." It's a good Danny DeVito comedy. Again, it's the kind of comedy they don't make anymore, but it's worth looking up. It's actually an old, uh, like a like almost like a Neil Simon play, more or less. And there's a line I have to I have to sanitize this phrase, but you know this is a good idea. Lawyers are like nuclear weapons. They have theirs, so I have mine, but nobody wants to use them because once you do, you screw up everything is basically the best way to put it. Lawyers put this stuff together. They make the deals to come together. They make the deals to pull it apart, and everything gets wrecked in the process when you do it. When you're talking about art and creativity and these merging houses happen, let's say at some point it doesn't work out and MGM and Amazon have to separate. Well, right now, they're about to have rights on, say, James Bond. Well, what happens if they separate again? MGM gets Bond because they had Bond, but Amazon owns a stake in Bond, and they want to be able to do things with Bond. So now you've got two different Bond things. We've already had stupidity with this. Go up, look up uh, Never Say Never Again and Kevin McClory and blah, 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 and how stupid that got. And it was just the beginning of things. See where this could go when the inevitable happens, and they really do monopolize Hollywood, and then the breakup happens. What happens to your favorite material? Well, we're facing that possibility
1: anyway related to James Bond because of the presence of Eon Productions and because of the stake that they have in the story. So just how much of an influence will Amazon have? How much will they try to insert themselves in Whatever happens in the future with the Bond property, which already has a lot of question marks surrounding it because Daniel Craig is not going to be around beyond No Time to Die as part of the franchise. His his time is wrapping up with this movie. So there's already a question mark in regard to that. What is this going to mean when you've got a, a company like that that's involved too that has not only a large stake in it, but a large emotional stake in it, too, because of the history and because of the equity that has been there as well. On a smaller scale of what you've described, we may we may see that manifest with Bond.
0: You know, Jeff Bezos is going to go to space. We just found out he's going to take his brother with him. <laughs> yeah. Who's to say Jeff Bezos doesn't say, you know what? I love my brother so much, I'm not only taking him to space, I want to see him as James Bond. I want to see him in the next James Bond movie as James Bond. What do you do when you're Eon and you own the other half of that house just as much as Bezos does? I I, I don't want to have your brother as James Bond. Is he even an actor? No, but he looks great jumping off an exploding building. What do you do? That's where problems happen. And you always want to say that, well, this was the farmhouse that the whole family grew up in. We all love it. But then the next generation takes over the farmhouse. They all grew up and they all have different ideas about what they want to do things. And you see things fracture. You see families get destroyed sometimes. This has happened before. It's not like saying you're being pessimistic. No, you're seeing the next link in an ongoing chain of problems. Maybe this one link isn't the one that'll be the problem, but the next one will. I'm just saying there's a long, long history of this kind of thing happening and here's just the next link that could be potentially the next one that's the the poop floating in the punch bowl
1: now that that example might be a bit extreme that, not thats kind really. of, that's kind of an extreme example of Bezos taking like his <laughs> brother and saying, hey you're going to be James Bond but but again it speaks to that idea that influence is real and influence could play a very very big factor.
0: but look at this so when Timothy or not Timothy Dalton, when Pierce Brosnan was done after Die another day in 2002 we we're going to get a new bond. So they're coming up with the 2006 Casino Royale. The fact that I can just pull those years out of my hair like it was nothing, and I'm correct, is just impressive That how much of a nerd I am. Remember how fond people were that Daniel Craig, a blonde guy? And that was the big problem. He's blonde, not dark-haired like everybody else. And everybody lost their mind, and people were going to boycott. And then they saw Casino Royale, and it was good. It was really good. Well, there was an image problem, and the broccoli, they knew. They had the right guy, and they knew it. Well, what happens if you get people in Amazon, maybe Jeff Bezos himself, that whenever they cast the next Bond, there's rumors it could be Idris Elba maybe, but that's a black Bond. Well, they're going to do a black Superman. Maybe they, somebody thinks it shouldn't be this guy, or it should be this guy. And you get a war based out just on that, because Bond, unless you're going to do the 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 Lazenby route and just do one Bond movie and that's it, and then get, and get another Bond – Who's to say that this guy's going to be signed up for three, four, five movies, and we're not sure because he's blonde or maybe he's a redhead or whatever comes down the pike? Who's to say that's not the big fracture right there? The war is over how this thing is going to move forward, and then you have problems moving forward from that to the next thing, and so on and so forth, and it just wrecks everything. Or does Amazon say, look, you guys have done a good job on this, make us proud? Get us a good movie that people are going to enjoy, and we will be thrilled to A get it on theater screens and get it on Amazon Prime. You have our blessing. That is that is the hope. And the it, hope.
1: you know, in a in a whole lot of speculation that's been maybe along the negative side or the what if side that we've done throughout the course of this episode, Dave, I think that's the hope to leave with is that creative licensing will still be allowed within even within purchases like this where there are so many possibilities of maybe this, maybe that. That's the hope is that maybe maybe we'll be wrong about that. And perhaps maybe we'll still
0: get some really cool creative stuff that comes along that is allowed to flourish. Here's I, I am a I am an optimist by nature, but I'm also very practical and I'm very realist. And sometimes that goes against my optimistic hardwiring And I think my practical and realism trumps probably everything else. When it comes to movies and it comes to Hollywood, yes, you need to make money. You have to make money. This is a job. This is an industry. And you can't have an industry if there's no money. I get it. So you have to find that balance between art and between money. And lately, not Hollywood as a whole, but if you're just going to look at it as, say, the last 20 years and build a model off of that, it's not trending the right way. No. It's not about art over money. It's the other way around. Now, maybe that pendulum will swing back. I really, really hope so. But when it you have. It seems
1: that once a property has success, that's where the pendulum goes the wrong way.
0: Here's where the pendulum goes the wrong way to begin with Disney spent $6 million on Lucasfilm. That means Indiana Jones, which they're just starting filming, by the way, I should mention, Indy 5. Yep. And uh, Star Wars didn't really go so well initially. You know, uh, we'll see how that's ultimately going to go. Well, Eon just got, per- or MGM rather, just got purchased by Amazon for $8 billion is what they're saying. So you need to make that money back. It's tell me, Explain to me, draw, draw me a diagram of how it's not all about the money. When you just spent $8 billion to get it, you better get a return on your investment And if all of a sudden the back catalog of MGM for the new streamer they launched doesn't manage to cut it, you just watch how fast it turns from art to money and how we're going to put out any old bad word, I can't say on the podcast, just to try to get as many dollar signs as we can. As long as we get your money, that's what matters. Once you realize it was a bad thing in the first place, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, I'm looking at you, it's too late. We got your money, now we don't care. This is how fast it can turn. So, is it reason to be optimistic? I hope so, but I just my practical side is going to kick in. I think we're going to go through some dark times here for a while before we get to good times.
1: Speculation there at the end aside, Dave. I think you make a really, really good point. Now, your speculation is speculation. Yeah, it's like if I could you tell make, you what
0: the future is, I'd go get the lottery ticket tonight. But you, I have but, no idea. But you
1: make you make an excellent, excellent point based on. The trend we have seen and that is like you said to recoup the money that you've paid out and so you will do it by whatever means necessary even if it means a lot of content with maybe so-so production value
0: well and here's the so. other thing i mean granted streamers have gone crazy But movie theaters, the entire industry of movie theaters, like going to the theater, has just taken a year and a half major hit unparalleled in Hollywood history. We're starting to emerge from this pandemic. That'll start to open back up. But Hollywood has already made an adjustment to all but bypass theaters in some ways with streaming. You tell me right now after the hits that these media companies haven't been receiving that they're not ready to sell their soul to make some dollars back now that they can out of a desperation. You know, I kind of, it's like the starving man who gets rescued from the middle of the sea. You give him something to eat and he'll just eat himself to death. You know, at his own peril. You're getting what you need, but you're doing it to a level that isn't going to be self-sustaining and could be long-term damaging. There's really a good parallel here for this. Anytime somebody finds an opportunity, no, 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 don't kill the golden goose. How many golden geese do you know get strangled to death because somebody wants the last little ounce of dollars they can get from it? There are no sacred cows. And when you find the rare one like Bond, that's because they're family owned. They really care for it. They really tend to it. You tend to see a lot of the same nam- names in the cast and a lot of the same names in the crew. And they almost retire from those movies rather than, you know, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to go on to do something different. From writers to directors to producers and so forth, they're all pretty much the same group until they get too old to do it. And then their, you know, their cousin or somebody joins in. It's family all the way through. Now that's changed. Yeah. So I, I want, I hope, I think maybe at some point we'll come back to better times. I hope I'm still living when that happens because I don't see it happening this week. I see money, 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 and all that can ruin that. I'm I'm pessimistic for the short term here. Unless it's a major tentpole movie that somebody does touch and does well. I think Top Gun Maverick will be good. It took, you know, 100 years to come up with a sequel. And they even delayed it non-pandemic related, just so they could make it better with great footage in the in the planes and do it for real. That's awesome. I think that's the exception and not the rule. And when you eventually start to homogenize this down to you know two groups, <sighs> I think a good phrase to leave it on
1: for today is this: "All that glitters is not necessarily gold." A Very good way to put it. Yeah. All right, thanks for joining us today for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm windbag Dave Brooks. (laughs) And we will see you at the movies.